0: Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now? This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin by calling in the spirits to be with us here today. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine, to those people who bring all that is good and true and beautiful from our ancestral lines into our lives. I call out to those people who bring this great legacy that can help us, the living, to draw on the wisdom of the past and to do things in new ways where necessary and to hold on to the tra- to the traditions where they will make us strong. I call out to these ancestors to gather around us here today and to help us to be the living that our time is calling out of us. And I reach beyond those human ancestors and call out to the non-human ancestors, to those living things here on this planet that were here long before there were ever humans and will likely be here after. I call out to these beings that understand their true nature so deeply and ask them to help us to understand our own, help us to tune in our lives into those things which will go with us when we die, and to not be distracted by those things that are ever so sparkly and shiny, but mean nothing at the time of our souls passing from this beautiful earth. So I ask these ancestors, human and non-human, to gather around us here today and to help us, help us learn to be better people. Help us to meet the challenges of our time. Help us to do what needs to be done for those who are coming. And as these ancestors gather around us here today, let us gather ourselves, drawing our awareness from wherever it might be into our heads, and from our heads to our hearts, and from our hearts to our bellies. And from our bellies, let's extend our awareness down to the earth itself, to the planet, to this place that you live your life every day. And let us give thanks for this day, for the beauty and the diversity and the wonder, for the great challenges that surround all of us in this day, in the huge challenge humanity faces to be better people. We take a moment in the midst of all of it to simply give thanks for life, for the miracle of life, the wonder of life, and for the enormous generosity in the Earth's dreaming, that has dreamt of a life for humans that we can change anything as long as we are still breathing. And so we call out to the Earth to hear our gratitude as we begin to move our energy down through all the layers of the Earth. Moving down until we reach the very center of the Earth and anchor ourselves firmly there. And with our energy deep into the Earth, let us take a moment and connect with this energy. This energy that is the essence of nourishment, that replenishes, energy that rises up into the many forms on the face of this earth and brings abundance, so that all life can live. And as we tune in to this energy, let us tune into it not in our human form, our human projection on it, but to tune into its true nature. That it is dark, it is still, it is silent. It is cool. It is a place to rest, to release, to restore. To renew and to replenish. And we draw on this energy just as we would draw on a fresh glass of water on a hot, hot day. We draw this energy up and into ourselves. Drawing the earth energy up through all the layers of the earth and into our bodies. And as we draw on this energy, let us use it to ground ourselves to make a choice to be here now, to ground ourselves in the earth so we get a sense of where we stand and what we stand for. To get a sense then of building home and place and in that home to create a sense of hearth and in all of this to find in ourselves a sense of belonging. And to do this in a way that doesn't simply gather around ourselves those who think like we do and look like we do and act like we do, but to open our homes to the other, to those who are different than we are, that we might be challenged by those people to truly become the men and women we could be, not who we already are, but that we might find the potential within us provoked to open up, to expand and to grow and to become more than we ever imagined we could be. And with this energy of the earth, let us feel this sense of connection within ourselves and the interconnection of things around us. And may we actually have the blessing in this day to have a moment of feeling the oneness of all things. And from this expanded sense of connection, let us come into right relationship with ourselves, right relationship with others, right relationship with the environment, and right relationship with the invisible world. And as we come into right relationship with these things and feel this rising energy from the earth that rises into life and expression, let us draw this energy up from our bellies to our hearts and our hearts to our minds, and up and out through the sky above and whatever weather that holds for you, engage with it as you rise through it out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos and all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know this energy, name it. Know yourself in it and it in you, for we are one with all of these energies. As we connect to this energy above, let us draw down into ourselves and into these proceedings, into our day. We draw down the essence energy of blessing. May our day be blessed. May we be a blessing in this day. We draw down the energy of protection and may we choose to act in a way that maintains our protection but also offers shelter to those who are in need. And we draw down the energy of generosity and devotion, commitment. We draw down the benevolence of our universe and we call in all the wisdom of the cosmos and the beneficence of this place and time. We call these energies in. We draw them into our heads, our hearts, our bellies, and send them down to the center of the earth. And in this way, we open up as humans to be this sacred meeting place of these two great lovers of legend. Stories of the people all over the world tell of the meeting of earth and sky, and how all this experience of form came from these two lovers. And we ask that that big love generated between these two energies awaken the spirit of our own heart, awaken the love in our own heart and allow our heart to become the crucible of transformation that it is, unique in all the chakras in our body. They all matter, but the heart is unique in its capacity to hold the fiery passions of our belly, those untamed and wild that carry within them this deep, deep need to do what it is that we've come here to do and the heart then can also hold the cool, clear insight of the mind that can look at the world around us and begin to understand and create and innovate. How will we do that thing that we've come here to do? And so we draw these two energies together in the heart because if they do not come together we will never know that third and most sacred thing. We will never remember why we are here and we ask that memory to be awakened in the heart through the great great passionate dance of these two energies and may we also find in our human heart courage the courage that it takes to do something in this day large or small to bring these gifts that are unique to us to bring these gifts into manifestation in some way in this day And for all the spirit help that gathers around each one of us, I give great gratitude. And I also give thanks to you, to Belle and Kelly and Duane and David and Ray Bob and all the other listeners who have donated to the show. I'm so grateful to you, to the spirit help, to the spirits that work with me so that I actually have something to say on the shows. All of this gives me great gratitude. I thank you for your help and the spirit help, and I ask that what needs to be said be said today, what needs to be heard be heard, and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I believe that what we're doing together is good. But there are people that take a moment to email me to say thank you because whatever it is has changed in their life because of this show, which you all help me keep out in the world. So there's over 300 hours of shows available free for anyone who can get online. And I give thanks to you for helping me to make that happen. For those of you that want to donate to the show, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com. The show has its own website that is... um, you can also go to co-creatornetwork.com to get to the show and iTunes. But the show has its own website, and that's the most direct way to offer support to the show. You can click the support button and offer any amount, large or small. So if this show is meaningful to you in any way, if it has moved you, know that you've been moved in the heart and let that motivation in your heart motivate your actions in the world this is the fundamental teaching of shamanism and so do something large or small to help the show to grow and if you're not able to donate financially there are many things you can do to give strength to what it is that we're doing here together on this show so bring these teachings into your journey circles into your own journey work start an altar practice um use the shows, let me know how it goes, let me know what questions arise, let me know what ideas you have for the show. All of these things help the show to stay relevant and actually practical since the show is all about the practical application of shamanism in our everyday lives. So thank you everyone for helping me uh, to help this show to be here for those who find it useful. So we are live today. And if you have any questions about today's topic, you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938. Or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or simply email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And you're welcome to use that email. If, you're, uh, if you want to donate to the show but you're uncomfortable doing it online, please feel free to just email me and I'll send you my regular old address for a regular old check. Um, and I'm grateful to all of you. So we are continuing on this journey today. I actually got a message from someone who is trying to learn to journey while they're preparing for this solstice ritual, which is an amazing Herculean task. And I was um really impressed. Um, and, and I hope that it goes well. But as, as, we, as we dial in here today more and more clearly towards the ritual, I want to say something I don't think I've actually remembered to say in the previous two shows, which were about preparing for the ritual, which is what is important is that each one of you prepare and engage in this ritual as you are able and that I've been assured by spirit that if you do that, if nobody tries to go beyond where they are, you will be fine. That you will be able to do a ritual that will be effective and meaningful for you, um, but it will also be safe. And so the important thing about it is don't get too worked up or agitated. Um, Do what you can do from where you are and you will build on that as we go forward in the new year. And the important thing, of course, about this particular solstice, and for those of you in the Southern Hemisphere who are looking at your summer solstice, I'm actually not, I didn't journey to find out how this actually applies. Um, But the point is, this time is an opportunity for sudden change. And that may translate for those of you looking at a summer solstice ritual in the coming weekend. Um, But the point is, Um, for us up here in the northern hemisphere that this winter solstice is a time to seize this opportunity for sudden change so that the work of next year will bear fruit. And um, for those of us who are actually interested in being new people who write a new story for a truly new world, being able to feel that our work is beginning to bear fruit would be a really nice thing to feel. And so thus, thus... the attention to this particular solstice and our efforts to seize this opportunity and to have our uh, work in the coming year truly bear fruit. Okay. So as I said, we're continuing on a series. For those of you that are just joining us today, the last the previous two weeks were parts one and two this is part three where we're focusing on the messages now from the teacher archetype and these messages in terms of helping us prepare for the solstice um, or just for this change are all about power about true power about your power about how you live with other people's expressions of power around you but it's all about your relationship with power. And just in case, as I said, this is the first time you're listening, um, understand that the, the deal with this winter solstice is it is an opportunity, as I described, for those who are prepared. And so this is what we're talking about is how do we... Discover the old stories that we're telling ourselves and actually succeed in using this ritual to drop these old stories? And how do we identify the lies that we're telling ourselves and use this opportunity to stop telling ourselves these lies and thus seize this opportunity for a sudden change? And so. Uh, Again, for those of you just joining us, I have gone to the four archetypal teachers of the cycle of transformation, which is my four year program, um, to ask for guidance as to how we can all prepare to seize this opportunity. So, for those of you that don't know, the cycle teachings are a set of teachings that comprise a shamanic tradition within a shamanic cosmology. Within that cosmology, you learn to work with your personal helping spirits and the teachers that populate the cosmology. So in this way the teachers of the cosmology will balance out uh, your relationship with your personal helping spirits in the same way that the teachers in any traditional cosmology of indigenous people balance out and complete um, their personal relationship with what's going on in the invisible world. So it's the same idea, just new cosmology. so for those of you in the, in the Southern Hemisphere, actually, there are some trickster messages uh, today because the trickster is an aspect of the teacher. And my feeling about those messages is that they're timeless. It's probably something we could go back to um, once a year for the rest of our lives and it would still bear fruit. Um, so um, you all can uh, take heed when we get to that part of the show. Okay, so we've already been to the healer. Um, who gave us the really the overall focus of our change Um, which is to use this winter solstice to be better able to align ourselves with our true calling so as we put our efforts into the work that's going to bear fruit next year we are doing this in alignment with our true calling and this is where we got this big message that it's all about dropping the old stories that we're using to shape reality to shape our sense of the possibilities in life and um, also to identify these lies that we tell ourselves, and to be able to stop telling the stories, stop telling the lies, you know, and use the solstice fire to help us to make that change. Um, and then that episode, for those of you who are wondering, is where I shared the information about how to make the power objects you would use then in the fire. Okay. So then we moved on last week to the warrior, Um, who counseled us to refuse to continue suffering over our childhood. And then this ties into the whole old stories and lies. The warrior also um, inspired us to accept accountability for the life that we've created and to focus on our true calling, which as our one true responsibility, not just one of many things we might get to today, but as the priority in our life, and um, there was a lot of explaining what the warrior really meant by what the warrior said. But nonetheless, the warrior encouraged us to learn to discern our false passions, um, which again is is a really important and I think timeless message. But the point the warrior was making is that sensing our true passions is essential if we are to guide ourselves toward our true calling that, that there, there's such a powerful relationship between our true passions and our true calling. If we can't feel our true passions, we are really deaf, dumb, and blind to our true calling. And so learning to sense our true passions requires that we unwind ourselves from a lifetime of following false passions and allowing false passions to motivate our actions. Um, I've, I've talked about this before from the sense of right action, wrong motivation. Um, anyway, so the warrior was talking about false passions that arise when we identify with a role in life. In particular, archetypal shadow roles. So for example, I identify perhaps with being a martyr or being a victim. Or identifying with being the judge or the addict. And we, we sort of see these patterns of behavior in our life. And then we rationalize them based on our childhood stories. And then we keep playing into these roles. That's what the warrior and the healer have been talking about. And we need to knock it off is the point. Okay. So the important thing is that when we identify with these roles, which are fundamentally untrue, right? We act as if they're a perfect fit. Again, because it's we're, we're rationalizing it with our past, right? And they then begin to color our perception, which then motivates our actions. And these actions can be very passionate actions, but these passions are false. And so if we're living in these childhood stories – so the warrior's saying it's very simple. If you're living in these childhood stories and align them to rationalize these roles that you've taken on in life, then you are in false passions, which makes it really hard for you to feel true passions, which makes feeling your true calling in some sense a waste of time until you unwind your false passions. Now, the other thing that's important about false passions is they can also come when we over-identify with positive roles – we didn't talk about this much last week, but the but the healer was saying that we can over identify for example with the role of the wise elder or the compassionate healer or the really interesting outsider right and in that over identification, we create arrogance because over identification always generates arrogance, and so then the arrogance laces through our good intentions and they then evolve into false passions. And so that's how even um, positive, you know, identification with roles we would consider valuable in the over uh, false passions. Okay. So if that wasn't enough for us to work on with the ritual that is quickly approaching next weekend, we now turn to the teacher. Um, So in this shamanic cosmology, it's important to understand that the teacher encompasses a couple other archetypes in other systems of archetypal understanding. So the teacher is also the leader and the sovereign, you know, like the king or queen energy. Um, And this is... Because this archetype is really about being the master, like the sensei uh, in a more of a martial arts practice kind of thing to, to, to have cultivated mastery through your life puts you in a place of having things to teach. It gives you the capacity to lead and you have a very powerful sense of your own sovereignty and dominion. Okay. The problem is... That this word has been trashed by history, particularly the history of the Western world, because we've gone out and colonized and enslaved everybody everywhere. And consequently, we can't use the word master because it just has such negative baggage. And until we clean that up, we just are going defaulting back to teacher. But just be aware that the teacher is not remotely talking about those people that you went to school with. It's a much bigger sense than that. So the essence of the teacher's message is that the path of the true calling is a path of mastery, period. So it's not necessarily a path of fame or fortune or even happiness. That mastery is about the quality of your experience of your true self in doing whatever the thing is, which would be then your true calling. Okay, so... I Googled around a little bit and found um, some words from a a favorite old mentor through books, um, George Leonard, um, from my very early years. And he says that the path of mastery requires that we enjoy regular practice for its own sake. You know, my point of going here is for us in a culture of entitlement um, and, frankly, laziness to actually think about what does a path of mastery mean? I mean, it's something that we see when we rent crazy kung fu movies from China. You know, we don't grasp this very well in this culture. So, turning to the old mentor, George Leonard. So, a path of mastery requires that we enjoy regular practice for its own sake. Practice meaning your altar practice, your tai chi practice, your yoga practice, your meditation practice. Whatever it is, but that you begin to enjoy the practice for its own sake. And that on a path of mastery, you will be constantly asked to push past your sense of your capabilities, to move into your potential, and also to accept the plateaus and to do this with a balance and to understand that they balance each other. It's not either or, it's both. So a path of mastery also requires that you surrender to the path and that you surrender to... meaning you surrender to the teachings on the path. It also means that you surrender to the teacher and whatever exercises, for lack of a better word, the teacher gives you, whether that teacher is in human form, whether they are in spirit form, or whether your teacher is simply life itself. And then the, the final thing is that you stay focused. And that is really challenging in our contemporary life. And so a path of a true calling, I mean, everybody wants their true calling. Everybody says that when they come and have a session with me. But most people don't actually want a path of mastery. So if you don't want a path of mastery, you don't actually want your true calling. And that's what the teachers saying. They are one and the same. Okay. Now, the important thing about staying focused was really interesting because it so described our great challenges today. Because it talked about if you want to stay focused, you can't be a dabbler. You can't be obsessive and you can't be a hack. <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought it was really funny, so I'm sharing it with you. Okay, so a dabbler is someone who is distracted but calls that their attention to novelty or a love of newness and that, that constant desire for the next great thing. But the truth is it's really just a kid who has no, no capacity to be focused. So it's, it's like, um, well, it's immaturity in an adult Okay. The obsessive is someone who is impatient with the plateau. Remember, he was talking about um, push your capability, capabilities and honor the plateaus. So, an obsessive is impatient with the plateaus and the need to not only rest and restore oneself, but also to integrate and implement what was just hard won on the path as we pushed our capabilities. Right. And the hack is someone who is complacent, who tends towards spiritual bypass and accepting what is good enough. So the hack lives on the plateau with a constant source of excuses of why to avoid pushing to the edge of the capabilities. Okay. So this is just to kind of get us on board with what the teacher means by path of mastery. So engaging in a path of mastery is very old school in all of the best ways we can mean that. It is about living our life from a constant awareness that we are here to explore and expand the soul incarnate through the incarnation. So in other words, in a path of mastery, you understand the body matters. Your actions matter. Your humanity matters more than you will ever know while you are living. And so this is important to understand when we're talking about practice on a path of mastery we are not talking about leaving your body behind. We are talking about mastering the art of your humanity and using your humanity as the vehicle by which or through which you bring your true calling into manifestation. So mastery engages your humanity in the full expression of your uniqueness or your divinity. And so the teacher then as an archetypal presence in this regard is all about mastery. So if we listen to the teacher, then living our true calling is a path of mastery. So if we accept that truth from the teacher, then what we need to look at in preparation for the fire is what stories Do you tell yourself about living a life of mastery? You know, what stories do you tell yourself about being a dabbler and being interested in everything that's new? What stories do you tell yourself to rationalize your obsessive nature, right? And where are you a hack? Where do you accept good enough and avoid pushing into your capabilities because we don't like being awkward. We don't like not knowing what we're doing. We don't like doing what we're not good at. There's a whole lot of reasons we don't move into our potential naturally. And so the question is, what stories do you tell yourself about living a life of mastery? So if your story depends on fame, you know, I'll be living my true calling when I'm famous, then you will need to be very careful of what vehicle you choose. You know, I told a couple a story a couple years ago about a woman who believed that her true calling was to be a pop singer, and she was kind of on the verge of a breakthrough, and she got married and she had kids. Um, so, pop singer would be a good vehicle if you require fame for your your story of your path of mastery. Okay, but. What she realized is that pop singer was just a vehicle and that the soul's purpose wasn't be a pop singer. It was about singing Um, and that the singing itself was more aligned with her calling. So when she gave birth to two children, each of which had a different kind of deafness, Um, One thing led to another, and she found herself making CDs to teach deaf children about music. And in this, she found a truer vehicle for her calling, that the fame, even though it had been part of her original story, wasn't really necessary. It wasn't a necessary part of her path of mastery. Um, so being a pop singer really ended up not being the greatest vehicle, that she found another vehicle that still allowed her to express her true calling in the world. So the important thing for you to decide is, is fame essential for you in your story or not? Now, for some of you, your story defend, depends on fortune. So then you'll need a ve- to take a very careful look at the time that we live in. Um, the time the time that we are born into is, and the culture that you're born into in that time is what will define whether or not there will be fortune on your path um, it, it really doesn't have anything to do with the value of what your true calling is, the, the value of your gifts that you bring to the world, it has to do with whether your culture and the time that you're born into values those things and will th- thus exchange a fortune for them so The question then, if fortune is a big part of your story, then in the time that you're born into, in the culture that you're born into, what will bring in the money? And that will need to be part of your vehicle. So uh, you will have to consider this each step along your path. Uh, For example, for me, fortune isn't important, obviously. Um, But if it was, I would immediately retool everything that I teach and just offer it to corporate America. I mean it would be the quickest way to cash in on these teachings, which are all about the path of mastery and um, human potential and all of these things that are marketed in corporate America. And if if fortune was a driving factor for me in my story, that would be the simplest way to do it is just retool everything for corporate America and bring in the big bucks. And my point is there's nothing wrong with fame or fortune but you need to know how much they matter and are they part of your story? Okay. So, conversely, if you are having trouble aligning with your true calling, then te- take a deep look at what you want that is contrary to wanting your path of mastery. My ability to align with my true calling In my late 20s I owe entirely to the fact that I made it the only priority in my life, singularly the only priority to know why I am here and I decided I cared about that more than anything else in the world truly and stuck with that focus for years. Right, So this is basically what the teacher's saying and obviously what the teacher said to me at that time. If you're having trouble aligning with your true calling, then look at what you're wanting. Are you wanting a path of mastery in your true calling or are you actually wanting other things? If you're wanting other things, then decide which matters more, those other things you're wanting or your true calling. So if you don't really want a path of mastery, then you need to be honest with yourself about your true calling. You know, it's only spiritual ambition to keep asking for your true calling if you're really not interested in a path of mastery. Um, It's just, you know, it's just the spiritual ambition to be able to say, I know my true calling and I'm doing it that has you focused on seeking your true calling unless you really want to give over to a path of mastery. So the point is you're here to choose. You're here to choose your life. So be honest about your choices. Honesty will lead you on the right path for you faster than doing what other people, including me, are telling you to do. So be honest with yourself. Choose what is most true for you now. Take that to the fire. Clear your life so that's what happens. Let that bear fruit in your life and see if that creates the life that you want. And if so, great. For those of you that know it's all about your true calling. That that's your choice. I'm not saying you're better than people that aren't choosing that. I'm saying if that's just what you know, what's honest, then you need to give over to this concept of a path of mastery. And so here's another realm to look into then to find stories that you need to drop or lies you need to stop telling yourself is this whole area I've just talked about. And bring those stories to the fire. Wrap them into the power objects you're already making or give them their own power objects but that's the whole point the teacher is saying is this this question, these stories you carry about a path of mastery and being honest with yourself about what you really want in life, that these, that this, this is the quickest way to discover that either the things you want are actually aligned and true for you and are going to create a life that you really want or you do it and they don't. And so you can readjust yourself. But the important thing is if you never – give over to it and go for it, you're never going to know. So the teacher's message contained two more fundamental challenges as we prepare for this uh, soon fast approaching ritual. The first is that you have to lead yourself on your path of mastery. That your true calling is unique to you. No one else can lead you there. The second message the teacher offers us is that your true calling will require the right use of your power. If you insist on not using your power or on misusing it in some way, your path of mastery will elude you. So your efforts on a path of mastery can teach you about the right use of power, but you can also refuse those lessons along the way, and that's an important distinction. So I recently read an article by Len Yeh, and um, this is about the need to lead yourself on your own path of mastery. Um, And actually the teacher, as I was journeying to the teacher to give you these messages for the show, the teacher actually referred to this article, which made me chuckle. I always think it's funny when they know what you've just read and what books are on your shelf and what books are on your shelf you've never read and all that. But anyway. So in this article, um, this was about uh, leading yourself on your path and that these were five rules uh, that, uh, for success basically. And these are the five rules of a currently very happy and successful actor. Um, so the first is to create your own luck. Um, so in this actor's life, other people didn't choose him, he wasn't getting any work. Um, so he realized that he had to choose himself. That his lack of white privilege or talent wasn't a satisfactory excuse to quit. And so the first step in this understanding that you have to lead yourself on your path of mastery is you need to create your own luck. The second is to always be closing the gap between you and your goals. And that there was – there's a wonderful piece in this article about the imagined path between where you are and your goals, which is always – everybody always draws a straight line. But in reality, anyone who's actually walked that path has made it from where they were to some goals that they had, that that journey is actually squiggly. And there's a wonderful piece in this article about that. So the important thing – is to not only always be closing the gap between where you are and what you're, where you're going, but also to trust the squiggly journey that it takes to actually close the gap. It's always a squiggly journey. And it's the fact that it squiggles that makes most people panic and bail. And so you're going to lead yourself on your path of mastery. Trust the squiggly journey. Okay. Number three, do not compromise your morals. And this is really in alignment with what the teacher is talking about. of being honest with yourself, make your choices, look at what that creates, understand what is right and true for you, and do that. So do not compromise your morals. Um, this is never a means to an end. To compromise your morals is the end. You just you're done. You can't you can't sleep. Can't live with yourself. All right. Number four, smile. And by that, what it really means is a teaching from the trickster, from Bugs Bunny, who was Brer Rabbit, who was an uh who was not an antsy, but who was the rabbit in Africa, the trickster, with a Nancy, who's the spider, who's the trickster in Africa. And so that message is never take your life too seriously. There's actually old Looney Tunes footage of Bugs Bunny sticking his head out the hole at the end of that cartoon saying, don't take your life too seriously. You'll never get out of it alive. A very important spiritual message, actually. And finally, number five in leading yourself on your own path of mastery is be grateful. And so what uh, the author of this article said is the magnitude of thankfulness That Vin Diesel constantly shows for his family and his fans is what has me convinced that he will be timeless in his career because he has built the most incredible support structure around himself. His family, both the blood kind and the kind you earn while driving cars really, really fast, keeps him grounded, fulfilled, and focused. And so create your own luck. Close the gap. Trust that squiggly line in doing it. Do not compromise your morals. Never take your life too seriously and be grateful. So honestly, no one is going to write this kind of article about me. But if they did, my list would probably look about the same as that list. However, number four, the learning to smile part would be if the article was about me would include – pages and pages of hysterically funny for you but horribly humiliating for me stories because learning to not take my life too seriously and myself too seriously was not easy for me but this one was a challenge but I got there eventually because my helping spirits were relentless in teaching this it is actually a really really deep and old and wise spiritual principle I mean think about all the anxiety today medicated and unmedicated that is entirely rooted in the fact we are simply taking ourselves too seriously. Anyway, moving along. I'm getting distracted. Okay, so the point here is that your true calling is unique to you. No one else can lead you there. My human teachers have been invaluable in helping me to learn how to get out of my own way so that I could lead myself on my path. They have not led me one step on my path. And they am deeply grateful for their teachings and all they have done to help me transform, but no one leads you on your path of mastery. There is not a step on your path that anyone else can lead you along. Expecting to learn from your teachers and expecting to be led by your teachers are two very different things. That is a very important distinction to make and to be clear about. So, if when you think of your teachers, in what ways are you expecting to be led or shown your true calling by your teachers? Those would be old stories to go into the fire. These are, could also be lies that you're telling yourself about yourself as the student relative to your teachers or something like that. But one way or another, that stuff has got to go into the fire. There are also places where you may you could find that there are places you're no longer choosing to learn. So that could be a place that needs to go into fire. Maybe that's you and your fears, so that story needs to go in the fire. But it's also possible that you're done with your teacher. And you need to let that relationship go in the fire and open yourself up for a new teacher. Okay, so what the teacher says then is you can work for others, you can learn from others, but you have to lead yourself. And so what needs to go into the fire is any stories you tell yourself or lies you tell yourself contrary to the teacher, what the teacher is saying. And now in this, though, there are two cautions. Be careful of allowing your brain to lead you instead of engaging the mind in the creation of a true vision. So be careful about that. Also be careful of allowing your emotions to lead you instead of tuning into the true callings of your heart. So it has to do with external and superficial versus deep internal uh, vision, visioning in the mind and a deep knowing in the heart. Okay. All right, so the teacher reminds us all that your true calling is your birthright. This is the kind of final part of the teaching from the teacher here. While it is your right to live it, your true calling is also your responsibility. It is your reason for being born and thus you owe the manifestation of your true calling back to the universe. So this is about sovereignty. It's about birthright. It is your right to come here and do what you have come here to do and it is your responsibility. So holding this dynamic tension between your sovereign right to do it and the fact that it is your true responsibility to do it is one way to begin to zero in on your right use of power. If you leave one of the other parts of that equation out, it doesn't help you so much with your right use of power. But together, there's this tension between your right to do it and your responsibility to do it. And out of that can come a pretty good, true sense of the right use of your power. So if you insist on not using your power, which many people do, Right, or you insist on misusing it in some way, your path of mastery will continue to elude you. Similarly, if you insist on taking responsibility for things that are not yours or not taking responsibility for what is only yours to do, then your path of mastery will continue to elude you. In other words, when, like for example, path of mastery requires practice. No one can do your practice for you. You have to practice yourself. So that's one of those things you absolutely have to take responsibility to do yourself. If you don't do that, your path of mastery will continue to elude you. At the same time, many of you are taking responsibility for bushels of things that are not yours to do. And you need to look at that. And all of those, in essence, agreements – that you've made to take on the responsibility for millions of other things that are other people's responsibility to do and not yours, toss that into the fire and that could help you really clarify your ability to focus on your own path of mastery and your own true calling in the coming year. So part of the way you know what is you are actually on a path of mastery is that your efforts on that path will begin to teach you about right use of power. So when you're on a path of mastery, it doesn't mean you're doing it all right. It doesn't mean you have mastery. It means you're gaining mastery, which means you're going to make, make a mess now and again. And in that you're going to go, Oh, okay. Don't like that mess. That wasn't the right use of my power. And in this way, by surrendering to the lessons along the path of mastery, You will learn what you need to learn to do what you need to do to bring your gifts to the world. So to refuse to learn from the lessons life dishes out is a way to continue to obscure what is your true calling. I had this friend, and this absolutely broke my heart. But her life kept stripping things away from her. Her marriage, her children, her business, like everything she'd created – and she'd she'd rally, she'd gain her footing again, and then she would consciously make a choice to not learn that lesson and set herself up for the next thing to be taken away from her. It was just too excruciatingly painful to watch. So the important thing is when we learn from life, we will learn about the right use of will in real time. We'll learn not theoretical lessons, but actual, I'm living it right now. I'm learning in my body how to do this lessons. This is one of the many reasons it is so important um, to learn to engage life itself as the teacher and to have skills for doing that every day. So back to our solstice fire and this opportunity for sudden change. So, so the, these two realms then for the teacher, this about leading yourself. And recognizing that your true calling is your birthright and your responsibility. These are other realms then for you to keep looking for stories that you need to drop or lies that you need to stop telling yourself. And you know what to do with them, right? They go into your power objects like we talked about in the first week with the healer. And thus through the power objects into the fire. All right, so with the teacher always comes the trickster because the trickster energy is an aspect of the greater complement of the wisdom of the teacher. So for those of you who want a shortcut to the whole thing, let's say you're just listening today for the first time because your friend said, oh, Christina's doing these great shows about your solstice ritual, and you're going, shit, I don't have time to get ready. Just do this part. (laughs) Just listen to the trickster. It's quick and dirty, but there you go. That's what the trickster often offers us. So the trickster says that there are seven things that you, meaning all of us including me, are doing every day that keep you from your right use of power, your right relationship with power. And because they keep you in old life patterns and therefore they keep you from the sacrifice that is necessary so that something else entirely can happen. So these are the trickster's seven questions. They have to do with your relationship with wholeness, with duality, with creativity, with balance, with with the larger systems here, with your intent, and with transformation. And so the trickster says, uh, do you truly value wholeness or oneness or just when it is convenient to do so? Do you carry a sense of being of the chosen people um, from your family's religious history? Do you enjoy a sense of entitlement of one kind or another? Do you long for a relationship with divinity that is other than worldly and apart from your human condition? These are all ways that people create separation, particularly in this continuing to believe you're part of the chosen people. These are ways that we separate from the oneness. So again, stories, lies to be put into the fire. Duality is number two. I read a post recently from a colleague um, who was sharing about his realization that he had a pretty easy time being non-judgmental – he's a Buddhist – a time being non-judgmental to those who that he, are powerless, sort of wretched and powerless, but not so much with these people that were powerful and misused their power. And his teacher suggested that he look for those qualities in himself and um, – embrace those qualities within himself and that he would find his ability to be non-judgmental in those qualities in the outer world would diminish or his ability to be non-judgmental would increase because his judgment would diminish. Um, So judgment sets us into likes and dislikes, into this idea of antagonistic dualities. And as my colleague's teacher rightly said, our judgment keeps us out of the deeper understanding of the complementary dualism inherent in the true nature of energy in our lives. And so part of uh, preparation for the fire could be looking at where do you judge? What are the lies you tell yourself about separation, about liking and disliking that allow you to continue to judge? Trickster number three, creativity. When we can stay in discernment, so we've sort of dealt with this duality and we've moved into a sense of complementary dualism, not so much in the judging anymore, but just staying at the discernment, so that's just just discerning what something is without lapping over into the good or bads that come with judgment. We can move then into creating solutions that are actually born of creativity not just the expectations of the status quo. So Trickster reminds us that in a life of a true calling, you use yourself fully. Trickster reminds us that status quo solutions come out of fear, worry, anxiety, fixations, and indulgences, and that in short, all of the things we do instead of engaging passionately and fully and risking creating something new. So that's another area to look at for things to go into the fire. Trickster number four, balance. So this is in the right use of power or the movement of power through us into the world literally requires a firm base. So Trickster's challenge is what do you do to cultivate a firm base in life that is rooted in your morals and values so that as you move power in the world, your base stays firmly rooted in that which you believe in your morals and your values so what have you done in your life to cultivate a firm base most of you, many of you aren't even grounded much less choosing what you're grounded into in terms of morals and values and so this is the trickster's challenge then, what have you done to cultivate balance from which to move your power directly into the world and if not what do you need to let go of so you'll begin to do that Trickster number five is systems. Trickster saying that the right use of power requires that you surrender to the systems that move the true energies in the world around you. So this would be like the seasons, the elements, the the real energies that are underneath what is apparent. So this has to do then with learning to surrender to the seasons and moving with them, learning to work with the elements to pull you out of the complexity and the struggles you've created as a human and to return to a simplicity of the right use of power. And most of all, this is about learning to surrender to your humanity and supported as your root strength so to not get caught up in the contemporary person's story drama of things but to really surrender into your humanity and questions like what would I need to do to be a better human okay. trickster number six intent so you can't get lost in the big systems uh, you can get lost in the big systems, but you must shape and maintain your intent within the big systems. That energy follows your thoughts, so you need to organize yourself and declutter your thoughts, declutter your home, your desk, your altar, your mind. Organize your energy so that you can focus your intent and then you can talk about organizing your power. And finally, the trickster is saying your seventh piece to look at here is transformation. Um, and trickster suggests you do this simply think about three things in life that are so important to you so essential that they have always been with you and then look at your current life and say what are the things that block me from building a life out of these essential things and those are the things that go in the fire So, from these trickster questions you should be able to see old stories and old lies about yourself that need to go in the fire and you know what to do with that. So let's talk a bit here as we're coming to an end about Um, The ritual itself. And as I said at the beginning of the show, what is important is that you set out to do this at your level in in a way for you that you are comfortable with or just on the verge of discomfort with, not way into your discomfort zone. Those of you that are comfortable with a really you know, Byzantine version of this, great, do that. But the basic version, simple and stripped down, will still do the work. As always with ritual, do the steps at your level. Simple will be effective. Simple will be safe. And if you want to embellish it and know how, by all means, do it. So moving through the steps of your ritual, prepare if others are joining you for this ritual make sure they are prepared don't allow anyone to participate in the ritual who has not prepared they can witness but they cannot participate because it will diminish the power of the ritual for everyone who has prepared prepare yourself cleansing smudging bathing whatever prepare your space and prepare your post-ritual celebration okay so then you lay and you light your fire And you're calling out to this most ancient ancestor, Grandfather Fire, to come in. So you call in the spirit help that is true for you and right for you. Using songs is a good way to do this, using words. But call in the spirit help you want to surround you when you feel that the spirit help that you feel comfortable with are gathered around you. Then you do your invocation. And in this invocation, you greet the fire as a being asking it to perform its most sacred function. And in this case in particular, you're asking, the function is, you're asking the fire to help you to release old stories and lies um, so that you can grasp the sudden change offered by this solstice to align with your true calling. It's a little bit cumbersome, but that's our purpose at this fire. So then you can feed the fire, chocolate, alcohol, lavender, cinnamon, anything tobacco feed the fire let it become a sweet and sacred fire uh most important is that you're treating the fire as an honored guest as as a as a great 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 grandfather but you're treating it as a being once you're ready to go then the fire is ready to go you're ready to go you release your power objects into the fire as you were counseled by the healer in the very beginning dance dance the energies before they go into the fire Speak but not too much. Speak it like you mean it so that your ancestors can hear you and um, it's perfectly valuable to have people present that are simply witnessing what you are saying. But you can do this all by yourself too. Okay. So then when you're done, everybody's released into the fire, then you give gratitude to the fire again as a being. You give thanks for it doing exactly what you asked it to do. You can offer the fire songs. When you're done giving gratitude to the fire, you give gratitude to the other helping spirits that have gathered around you, and you can do that with song as well. And then when you feel done, you bow out. You close your ritual, and the important thing is you truly close the ritual. You don't just go, oh, okay, well, feels done. Let's uh, get out the s'mores. You bow out of the circle and you step away from the fire and you let the fire do what you've asked it to do. And then go over here and celebrate, have a feast, have a potluck, enjoy your friends. Okay. So the important thing is do it at the level that you're truly ready to do it at. Trust the spirits, trust the fire and trust your preparation. And don't take yourself too seriously. So we give thanks to the energies that have gathered around us here today, the earth below and the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone, and I wish you great, great blessings and much power for your winter solstice fires. Thank you.